0: Good morning, Rocky Peak. Hey, great to see you. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you, not only those here, but and those of you sitting outside. Uh, and those uh, watching from around the world, I know that right now, uh, one of our pastors, uh, Neil Johnson, Neil, Neil and Lynn are in Cordoba, Spain right now, and they're joining us at six o'clock at night there. Um, so Neil and Lynn, special shout out to you and to all those around the world who are joining us uh, today. And so we're going to go into this time of teaching right now. Before we do, I just want to give my, th- my thanks too, to all of those who served this week. This VBS is really amazing. It's over the top. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, you know. And every every morning, I have the privilege of going up, kind of welcoming the kids, um, and kind of uh, getting them ready to go to their 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 activities for the day. And when I'm telling you, when I'm standing at the back in that first day, I almost always tear up because it's just amazing to see these hundreds of kids in a culture where there's so many lies receiving, like, pure, unadulterated truth. Amen? And so uh, just thank you so much for making that happen. So uh, we're going to go in this time of teaching. And so um, you've already got your note sheets out. Those of you are joining us online, you can download either from the top or the bottom of your format, depending on which format you're watching. But if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay. Well, Father, we're excited to be here in your house, Lord. And I think of the word word that says, when you gather in the name of the Lord Jesus, that uh, the power of the Lord is there, and we are gathered in your name. And so, Lord, we know that you're here. And your word says that in you we live and move and have our being. And so, you're closer to us in the air we breathe, that you are, know us better even than we know ourselves. You're never distant, you're always present, ready to speak into our lives when we're ready to hear. And so, Lord, we pray that today would be one of those times that during this time, as we unpack your word, that you'll be speaking to us words of encouragement, words of challenge, words of comfort, uh, words of new vision, that you would just begin to open our eyes to see what your spirit has for us today. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, our, uh, our, our uh, story starts today uh, late at night. He's in a, in a dark uh, prison cell, and this is where he spent the last couple days. And honestly, this has happened so fast, it's just like it's, it's kind of taken him by surprise. When he first arrived in the city, things were going well. He, uh, he greeted his old friends. They received a warm reception. And for the first few days, it seemed like some of his worst fears, some of his biggest concerns were not going to materialize. But then, like that, it happened. All of a sudden... The false accusations came. The riot started. The mob tried to tear him apart. The authorities had to step in. And now for the last two or three days, he's been in this prison cell, except when he was taken out for his first trial. And honestly, as he gets ready to go to sleep tonight, he's back in his cell, he's not sure what's gonna happen. His plans have been completely derailed he knows that his life is hanging in the balance. And honestly, he's afraid and wondering what the future is going to hold. Well, today we're continuing this series that we have been in now for like the last, uh, I think, six weeks. Uh, for those of you who are brand new, welcome. This, the name of this series is called The Gospel of God. And always at the top, i like to just kind of briefly, hey, here's where we're at so you can join in, even if it's your first time. But uh, this series, what it is, it's an in-depth study of one of the most important letters ever written in the history of the world. It's, it's found in the second part of our Bibles that we call the New Testament. It's written from one of the key leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, or we know him as the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Christ followers who live in the capital of the Roman Empire. They live in the city of Rome. It's about a million people at this time. Um, and he's, he's never met most of them. He's writing to churches he's never met. And uh, so we call this letter the letter to the Romans. Now, if you've been with us the last five weeks, we've been doing a deep dive into the first seven verses, which is the first half of his long intro, where Paul's introducing himself, introducing his message. And he's using these key words, what we've called gospel words that are like windows into his worldview. They're gonna be very important as we go through this letter, um, as pa- Paul shares this message, what he calls the gospel of God. And so today we're gonna to break into the second half of the intro. We're actually gonna cover this whole thing today. Uh, it starts in chapter one and verse eight. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up and turn them on. There in your note sheet, you have a section called the gospel of God, the introduction. And we're gonna be covering the second half of it uh, today. And so we'll pick it up at verse 8. So, so Paul is kind of uh, introduced a little bit about who he is, uh, who, what his gospel is about. Now his, his attention is going to turn, kind of switch gears, and he's going to talk about his hopes to visit them in the near future. Now remember, Paul is in Corinth, so he's a long way from Rome. We'll talk about that more later. We'll get our maps out. But, um, but anyway, he starts in verse 8, and he says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith, this, this, in other words, they've come to Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Oh, there we go. Time's over. Okay. <laughs> like, wow. We got to close in prayer. Um, I asked him to give me a, a limit, but that's ridiculous. All right. Uh, so, so Paul is, uh, if you've ever read Paul's letters, you know this is very common. At the start of his letters, he often thanks God for the believers or, or prays for them. He talks about how he's praying for them often. And what we see from this is is Paul is a man of deep prayer. Prayer is a high priority in his life. And so um, he says, I I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. He says, hey, uh, what's happening in the capital is starting, the, the rumors are starting to spread. Of course, especially in the churches that are springing up throughout the empire. And he says, God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching, the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. And he says, in my prayers at all times. And one of the things I'm praying is that right now, at last, by God's will, and I want you to underline that, by God's will. That's our topic on the table today. We'll come back to it. But I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come. So he says, as I pray for you, one of the things I'm praying for specifically is God would open a door for me to come, that it would be his will for me to come. And he says, "Uh, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift uh, to make you strong. But he says, but this is a two-way street. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And he says, I, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I've planned many times to come to you. So he's often wanted to come to the capital, but he said, but I've pre- been prevented from doing so until now, and the reason I want to come is order that I might have a harvest among you. So using this metaphor of a spiritual harvest, you know, so that he can share Jesus and more people come to Christ, he can strengthen the believers there. He says, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. And so you notice that. That that we, we I've talked about this often. How how scholars believe that uh, this letter is written to churches that are mostly Gentiles, some Jewish minority. We talked about why that was last week. Um, but uh, here's another indication. He says, I, I want to have some a spiritual harvest among you Gentiles, right? like, like I have the rest of the Gentiles. And you remember, of course, Paul's specific calling was not just to be an apostle, but he was an apostle to the Gentiles. His primary audience was uh, his, his assignment from God was to share Jesus with those who are not Jews. And he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. So those who Uh, kind of live and kind of share the the Greco-Roman culture of the day, but also to non-Greeks, those who'd be more outliers who don't, and both to those who the culture in their time would consider wise, uh, educated, sophisticated, and also, on the other hand, who who the culture would consider foolish. And he says, that's why I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And that phrase, to preach the gospel, that's actually that gospel word we talked about last week, euangelizo he says, I I want to gospel you. I want to share this big picture story uh, of God with you in Rome as well, because God's just called me to share it wherever I go with everyone, right? So And so with that, he kind of wraps up the intro. The next two verses are kind of transition verses as he transfers into kind of the main body of the letter where he begins to share the gospel of God. And we're gonna come back to those in about five weeks. And so I'll tell you more about that later. (laughs) All right, so um, what I wanna do today though is I wanna focus in on this phrase that Paul uses, the gospel of, uh, or the will of God. There are many topics today that we can tackle from this intro. For example, we, you know, we talked about Paul's prayer life and how a top priority this was for him, but also we learn in his letters what a top priority it is for all of us as followers of Jesus. So we could go that direction. Uh, we see in this letter Paul's desire to evangelize the world, to share Jesus. Remember he's He's going to Rome, but that's just a stop on his way to Spain to share Jesus where Jesus has never been shared. So we could talk about this calling that we all share to take the gospel, not only here where we are, but around the world, like our team that just went to Tanzania and so on. So there's a lot of different directions that we could go. But I want to focus in today on the specific comment that Paul's made about the will of God. He's praying that he can come to Rome by the will of God. Because it's a fascinating study that flows out of this letter and out of the, situation in Paul's life that surrounds this letter. And so what I want to do today is I I want to highlight uh, three specific principles about discovering or discerning God's will in our life. Now, of course, this is a huge topic. We're not going to be looking at the entire topic today. In two weeks, we'll be coming back. I'll talk about this more later. And we're going to be doing a short three-week mini-series that's called Listen and Follow. And we'll we'll be talking more about Hearing God's Voice, and how, do, how does that work in our life? And then, Lord willing, I'm starting to work on a series at the beginning of next year that my working title is called um, uh, Hearing God's Voice, Discovering His Will. And so we're gonna do a deep dive on this at the start of the year. So we're kind of we're in Romans, but along the way we're gonna take a couple breaks and do other things. And so those are two breaks that we have planned that are coming up. All right, so but today I wanna focus in on a particular aspect of discovering God's will that is so profound and so amazing that comes out of this letter and the circumstances surrounding this letter, right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called The Gospel of God, Discovering God's Will. Let's jump in. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna, I'm gonna give you three principles they are like building blocks, right? We're gonna start like with verse one, the second one's gonna go on top, the third one's gonna go uh, at the very top, and the third one's where we're heading, but these first two are very important along the way. And so the first one goes like this, very basic, that God has a will for our lives, right? So let's just start there that when we come to Jesus, one of the things we discover is that God is, actually has a will for our life. Like, we learned last week, what we says that those who God foreknew, he predestined. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. That God knows us before time. And so when we come to Jesus, we find out that our life actually has meaning, has purpose. God has a will for our life. Now, this will, you can kind of separate it into two parts, that God has a general will for our life, and he has a specific will for our life. And it's important to understand the difference. So his general will is what we talked about last week. We come to Jesus, big part of the gospel, that his vision for us is not just that we're forgiven and then wait to go to heaven when we die, but that his vision is that we're transformed to be like Jesus in our core character and our visions and our, our, our values and so on, so we can join him in his, in his mission to bring all heaven and earth under his leadership. And so so God is always working in our life, and that's his will for every believer. It's something we all share. In fact, when we get to chapter 12 of Romans, Paul will talk about this after 11 chapters of the big picture story of the gospel of God, he starts getting really practical. What does it look like to live out the gospel in our lives? And in chapter 12, there's this very famous verse I know many of you will be familiar with. He says, if you want to live out the gospel, he says, you cannot conform to the pattern of this world. He says, this world has a way of thinking. This world has a worldview, it's got a value system, it's got a lifestyle, right, he says, if you want to be, uh, live a gospel life, you you can't take your cues from society around you. And he says, so, he says, but here's God's way, he says, but be what, what's the next word? Yeah, transformed, right, changed, the word metamorpho, like metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, that kind of thing, right, but be transformed by the what? the renewing of your mind. He says that if you're going to be transformed, your whole worldview has to change. Right. Everything it has got to change. And he says, he says then, and I'd underline that on your note, you, then, at that point, you know, as your mind is being renewed and therefore your life is being transformed, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve. Um, I like the word demonstrate in our life or even experience you'll be able to test and approve what God's what? what's God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so what Paul is saying is when you come to Jesus and you receive the gospel, that, that God has a vision for your life and it has to do at the core with who you are. And that as followers of Jesus, we all share this will of God in our life that we would be transformed to be like Jesus, to join him in his mission, to bring all heaven and earth underneath his leadership, right? So that's, that's his will for your life. It's will for my life. But secondly, God has a specific will for our lives. Like his will for your life is different than my life. And you can see this in the life of the apostle Paul. Like Paul was called to be an apostle. We're not all called to be an apostle, but he was called. And then not just called to be an apostle, he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, right, and so that's a different calling in his life than, say, the Apostle Peter. They had different callings, uh, but we see another example of this in uh, in this first in the intro we just read in chapter one, verse ten. I put it there in your note sheet. He says, "I pray that now at last, what's the next words? By God's will, uh, the way will be opened up for me to come to you." And so he says, "I'm praying. I've I've wanted to come often." but I'm praying that this time that God would open the door and that this would be his specific will for my life. That at this time in my life, that this is his will for me to come to visit you. And later on in this uh, letter, and later on in this message, we'll talk more. He's actually got a lot planned. He's, he's got a lot of planning that he's praying for, right? And so, so what we find out is that we come to Jesus. We, there's a general will for all of us but there's a specific will for each of us. Now, here's an interesting thing. Christian scholars, Bible students, uh, Christians will disagree on how specific that will is for our life, right? And we're not gonna get into that, but what I want you to catch is that all Christians would agree with this, that like David says in Psalm 139, every day of my life was written in your book before there was one. There's a plan for our life, okay? Now, before we leave this point, I wanna introduce one Key concept. Often, what we're praying for, that this will be God's specific will in our life, is at odds with God's general will for our life. Are you with me? That all the times we're praying, God, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you answer this prayer? What we're praying is like Paul's praying that, that God, that that you would open a door for this thing to happen, that this would be your specific will. But what we're gonna catch is often, God's more concerned about who you are than what you do. On, right, and so sometimes what we're praying for is because that's the best we can visualize for our life. But what God is working is he's working a deeper work in our life yeah and that often that's gonna require the exact opposite of what we're praying for. Because he is looking not for short-term success, but long-term transformation, all right? So we'll come back to that. Okay, number two. Uh, The second principle that flows out of Paul's life, this letter, is that sometimes God's will is clear, and other times it's not. Now, how many of you have found that to be true in your own life? (laughs) Like, sometimes it's really clear, and I think often... When it's clear, we, we kind of well, this is the way it should be. And when it's not clear, we wonder what's wrong. Like, what, what's going on? But what we're going to see today, that in Paul's life, sometimes God's will was super clear, other times not so much, and that this was part of his normal life experience. So just real quickly, uh, let me give you an example. One time, we'll see others today, but one time when God's will was very clear, So the reference for this is in uh, Acts 13, and I put the reference there so you can check it out, but just for time, we're not going to walk through the whole passage. But here's the situation. Uh, It's still fairly early in Paul's life. He's come to Jesus. He's been doing some ministry. But at a certain point in his life, he moves to the city of Antioch, which is in Syria. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire and one of the hotbeds for Gentile Christianity. And so he, he goes to that church, he rises in leadership, and on this one particular day, we're told that five of the key leaders of the church of Antioch were together, they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. I think probably most likely seeking God's direction for their church in some way, but we don't really know. And in that midst, God speaks very clearly. And we're not sure how he speaks, but probably through one of the leaders there, because we're told these five leaders were prophets and teachers. So probably a prophetic word through one of these men. And what the Lord said through this prophet was, set apart Paul, actually called him Saul, his Jewish name, but we know him as Paul, Saul and Barnabas, his good friend, for the ministry to which I have called them. And so so what they understood that to mean is that Paul and Barnabas, who had been leaders in the church of Antioch, were to leave the church of Antioch, and they were to go out on what we traditionally call Paul's first missionary journey, sharing Jesus where he's never been shared, for the most part, uh, north of Syria, in the area that we would call modern-day Turkey, the south of modern-day Turkey, right? So he goes out, he's gone a couple of years doing this, churches get started, and so what I want you to catch is, that's very clear, isn't it? You get a specific word from God. Uh, you guys are to leave the church, go out and do this ministry. Very clear. So, what's interesting though, if you fast forward two years, Paul and Barnabas are now back in Antioch. And Paul has the idea uh, we don't know well, from the Lord or what, but he has the idea at least that they should go back and visit these churches that they started in the south of Turkey. And so he, he enlists a different team and uh, they, they go and they begin to do that. But this is, this is the start of what we call Paul's second missionary journey. And on this journey, the first stage was super clear. They're gonna go back to these churches and encourage them and strengthen them in the Lord. But what's not clear for Paul is what you do after we visit these churches. Like what's not clear is where do we go next? Now, I don't know about you, But what I'd expect the Bible to tell me is that they weren't sure where to go next. So they fasted and prayed, and the Lord said, here's your next destination. Start there. But that is not what happened. In fact, what happened is a long series of mysterious direction. And I want you to see this. It's in chapter 16 of Acts. And so it says, Paul and his companions, so now he's traveling with Silas and the younger man, Timothy. They, they travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now, we're not going to do map work on this. I'm just going to describe it. Basically, he's going to go through a series of Roman provinces or areas that are all in modern-day Turkey, but they're all a t- little bit more to the north and a little bit more to the west, all right? And so he says... Um, So they went through Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So Asia was the province where the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire was, which was Ephesus. And this would make logical sense to where to go next, right? To share Jesus in Ephesus. But we're told the Holy Spirit kept them from doing that. Now, this is very interesting because you want to know more. Like, well, how did he keep them? Was there another prophetic word? Was it the internal voice of the Spirit? Was it circumstantial? And we don't know. But they sense the Holy Spirit saying, no, don't go that direction. So, what I would expect is the Holy Spirit, no, don't go there. Hmm. No, don't go there. Go here. But that's not what happens. He says, don't go there. Well, where do we go? Well, I don't know. Well, let's just keep going north and see what happens. Right? So when they, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. So they're thinking, okay, this is, must be it. Uh, let's go to Bithynia. That must be the place. But the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Again, we don't know how, but they sense from the Lord, not supposed to go there. Are you following this? This is just kind of weird. It's like, why this game of cat and mouse? You know, like, why not just tell them where to go? Rather than just keeping going, nope, not there. Okay, so we'll just keep going north and west. And so they passed by Mysia, and they went down to Troas. Now, Troas was a major city on the sea, it was on the sea coast of the Aegean Sea on the western side, very near to Europe. So they're still on the continent of Asia, but they're, they're getting close to crossing over into Europe. And so during the night, remember, they still don't know what to do. But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, again, if you have this dream, like, like it's not super clear. Why doesn't Jesus just show up in the dream and tell you where to go? But again, it's sort of mysterious. So look what Luke says. He says, after Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, which was in northern Greece, right there in Europe, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. So they have to put two and two together. Well, he said, not here, not there, not here. We had this dream. I, I, think, I think that's what it means. Are, are you with me? This seems a little bit surprising to me. Like the Lord had been so clear about his initial calling. We'll see later today, another time super clear. But in this time not as clear, and you say, well, why is it that God is sometimes so clear with us and other times not? And I think there are a variety of reasons. We won't go into that, but one reason is sometimes God can teach us something in the confusion that he can't teach us something when things are clear. That there, there are things that it draws out of us, the seeking of God, the learning to listen and follow, not to get ahead of God. There's lessons that we learn when things aren't clear that we can never learn when things are clear. Okay, Okay, so let's move on. So we've got two principles that God God has a will. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's not. Now we're going to go to the top of our pyramid today uh, that we're going to kind of bring this together. And this one I'm going to use a metaphor of valleys and dark turns, but it goes like this, that our dark valley doesn't mean a wrong turn. Amen. So... So often we tend to assume, first of all, that if I'm pursuing God, if I'm willing to do his will, that God will show me and it will be clear. That We often make that assumption. But there's another assumption that comes that, that if it's not perfectly clear, but we kind of sense a general direction, that, that when we listen and follow to the best we know, that it will work out. That the plan, our plans will come true, our prayers will be answered. And I think in general, you see this in the Bible, that when God is super clear of what we're to do, that, that it works out, right? right? In fact, when someone is always saying, God led me here, God led me here, God told me this, God told me that, and their life is constantly a mess, I'm usually pretty convinced that I don't know, but I don't think, God's re- I don't think you're really hearing God's voice, right? That's not, like when God is leading there's confirmation yeah, of that. And you see the wisdom and the beauty of God and you're usually amazed, right? It's, like, it's not like you just go from one disaster to another, right? So, so that's, that's normally the way it works. But here's what I'm saying is that sometimes when the, when the direction's not super clear, we've sought the Lord, we feel like we've got enough to go on the direction that we tend to expect that what we're praying for, God's specific will, that that will work out in our life. Like, let me give you an example. Let's say, I'm going to give you a hypothetical, all right? I know this is probably wouldn't really apply to anyone here, but, but let me just give you a hy- hypothetical. Let's say someone at Rocky Peak is considering leaving California, all right? Just, just, <laughs> I, know, I know this is a stretch, you know, but just go with me, all right? Let's just say, let's just say they're tired of California, which I know it's hard, but, uh, and so they just want to leave, right, and they want to go to Idaho. Remember, just play along. Let's play along. They want to go to Idaho. They want to move maybe to Tennessee, uh, maybe Texas, Colorado, Arizona, someplace like that, right? Um, so let's just play along. And, and, so, um, and they do it the right way. Okay. So there's a right way to do this, and there's a wrong way to do this. right? But they do it the right way. They really go before the Lord. And they say, Lord, hey, this is what we want, but, but we're really open. We don't want to go if you're not going with us. And, and they seek wise counsel, like Proverbs talk about, in a, an abundance of counselors, there's victory, right? And they seek wise counsel, and they, they do their research, and they do it right, and they check out the schools, and they check out the weather, and they check out uh, the kind of cost of living, and they check out the economy, and they, they check it all out, and just quick sidebar here, okay? Can we just do a sidebar for just for a second? Hey, if this ever is your story, I mean, I know it probably won't be, but if it ever is your story, One of just a hot tip that many Christians miss is when you're considering a move, one of the most important things to consider is churches. Mm. Can I tell you how many people over my lifetime? I've seen, moved out of California. They checked out the weather. They checked out the economy. And two years later, they're still writing back. Not such not I hear. This is what I was in previous place, too. They're still writing back. We cannot find a church. We're dying spiritually. We're still watching online. We're still trying. But we're just really struggling. Our kids are struggling. Men and women, our first calling is to seek first the kingdom. Our top priority is, Our top priority is to thrive spiritually right? And so often we don't consider this, and so we'll check out everything else, but we don't check. We just assume that we'll find a good church, and then we get out wherever we thought was beautiful, and yes, it's beautiful, and yes, the house is big, and yes, there's less traffic and all that, but, but you're, maybe it's you, or maybe you're spiritually strong enough to do it, but your kids are falling apart, They're not finding their their place, their community to grow. It's so important, especially in this age that we're in, right? And so that's just a hot tip. If you ever go, make sure you research churches. Make that part of your research. But anyway, let's say that this person has done all that. They've done it all well. And they're not getting like, there's no like word from the Lord. Yes, move to Colorado. But they're they're feeling like it's kind of all lining up. It's what they've been praying for. It seems to be the right thing, right? And so they make the move. And then everything goes wrong. There's a layoff in their industry that they didn't foresee and they lose their job as a new person there. Um, Their their kids uh, are having a hard time adjusting. They've moved to the southern part of Texas and they can't understand what people are saying. And on top of that, the kids in Southern, uh, Southern Texas all hate them because they're from California. Uh, and this house that they bought that was so much bigger and so great, with, along with the 10,000 acres that went with it, <laughs> they find out that there's mold in the house and the local laws don't help them get rid of it. And now they're stuck with it and they can't sell it. The church that they've researched well, it looks so good and all of a sudden they find the pastor's had a long-term affair, he leaves and the church splits. Like everything goes wrong. Like what's our first thought? Our first thought is like, God we did everything we thought you wanted us to do, we thought you were leading us here, but this can't be your will, this is a disaster. And here's what I want to suggest that if you've approached this the right way and you've done the best you can, and to the best of your knowledge, it seemed like this is where God is leading, that you're probably right where you need to be. That, that a dark valley doesn't necessarily mean you took a wrong turn along the way. And I wanna show you this from the life of Paul, and this is what's so fascinating is you put this whole letter in his life together. You know, what we've learned already is that, you know, Paul in the intro, he, um, he has shared that he's wanted to come to Rome for a long time, but he's saying, I'm praying at last by God's will, God will open the door, right? And so we actually find out in chapter 15, there's a lot of thought behind this. He actually has a plan in place. He's just not going to tell him until he gets to the end of the letter. But when you get to chapter 15, and I put the references there on your note sheet so you can follow them later, but just for time, we don't have time to go through them piece by piece, but but what happens is in chapter 15, he says, hey, I'm really looking forward to coming to see you in Rome. And he says, and this is my plan. He said, here's, a, here's my travel plan. And to understand this, I put a map there just to make this easier so you can visualize this. So it, it won't take much, but let's just look at that map. There's three key cities we need to understand in his itinerary, all right? So first of all, let's find the city of Corinth that's right in the center of the map in the, in the southern part of Greece. You see that? That's where Paul is. That's where he's writing this letter from, right? Uh, next, let's go to the far right of the map and down at the bottom, and you see Jerusalem, right? So this is, he's gonna start in Corinth. His travel plan is to travel to Jerusalem because he's been taking this large offering from all his Gentile churches. He wants to deliver it in person to the Jewish mother church in Jerusalem, as a way of building a, a, a stronger bond between the Gentile churches and the mother Jewish church, and then his plan is to go to Rome from Jerusalem. And so, Rome is at the far left and the upper left. You see where Rome is? Yep. Okay. So, so his plan is—he shares this in chapter fifteen. It's very simple. He says. Um, My plan is I'm going to leave here soon. Uh, I'm going to uh, go to Jerusalem, deliver this offering. Then my plan is to come to you. Now, Paul realizes there's some danger in this plan. And the reason is, is remember, Paul grew up, was educated in Jerusalem. He was one of the rising young stars of Judaism. When the early church started, he led the persecution against them but then remember he had this encounter with the resurrected Jesus that changed his life. And so he went from persecutor to persecuted. And for for many Jews who didn't believe in the Messiah, um, for many Jews in Jerusalem, they saw him as the Benedict Arnold of their nation, right? He was the ultimate traitor. So anytime Paul goes back to Jerusalem, it's dangerous. And so Uh, In chapter 15 of Romans, after he tells him this itinerary, this is what he says, and I put this verse there for you. He says, could you pray for me that I'll be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea? So Judea is a province where Jerusalem is located. And by unbelievers, he means those who are Jewish Uh, people, but don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he says, pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers in Judea because, you know, he's always in danger there. He says, secondly, that the contribution, this financial offering that I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, talking about Jewish Christians. Okay. And he says, so that he says, "So, so I want you to pray for two things. Number one, pray for my safety Number two, pray the offering is well received and it really brings unity to the church. And he says, and then he says, if this works out, he says, then the end result is so I may come to you in Rome with what? With joy. By what? Okay, so this is Paul's, Paul's vision for his life, right? Uh, he's told this twice in chapter one, he said, uh, I'm praying that by God's will, I can come to you. This will be God's specific will. And he says in chapter 15, would you pray for me? This is my plan. I plan to travel from Corinth to Jerusalem, deliver the offering, pray that that goes well, that by God's will, then I will be able to come to you with great joy for how, how the church is being united. Like I'll be in a great place, all right? So the question is, that, that's his plan, right? Obviously he's been praying about this. He feels strongly about this. The question is, how did that go? And I'm telling you, it did not go as planned. He's got the Romans praying for it. He's praying for it, that this will be God's will, that all will go well. It does not go according to plan. In fact, it's the exact opposite. And this takes us back to our story that we started the day with about this man who's arrived in the city, that his visit has gone well. He's been welcomed by his friends, old friends. Um, But then suddenly everything changed. Uh, There were a series of false accusations, a riot, a mob scene. He's rescued from that mob scene. And now he's in prison, gone gone through one trial already, but his plans have been completely derailed. And now he's wondering what his future holds. His life is in the balance. Well, this is Paul's story of what happened after he left Corinth and traveled to Jerusalem. Right, So what happens, and, and by the way, the references for this is in chapter 21 of Acts. It's there. You can chase this down later. But what happens is when he first gets to Jerusalem, he, he brings this offering, and he's well-received by the Jewish leaders there. And it seems like his worst fears are not materializing. But then shortly after he arrives, he goes up to the temple, the huge temple complex. And while he's there, he's recognized from some Jewish non-believers... That are from the province of Asia, where Ephesus is, and Paul had spent by this point in his life two or three years there. They recognize him and they say, "Hey, this is the man." They they point him out to the crowd. You know, it's huge crowd there at the temple. This is the man who's teaching uh, uh, our nation the wrong way. That's taking the wrong way, Uh, and and they said, and he's actually brought Gentiles, so Gentile Christians. Into the temple ground, which was legal on the outskirts of the temple campus, but there was a wall four and a half foot high that no Gentiles could pass that as you approach the temple on pain of death, capital punishment. And so they accused him of bringing Gentiles into that area. And with that, there is a riot. Uh, there's a mob scene. Paul is almost killed in this. The Roman soldiers have to jump in and kind of rescue him. And as the end result, now he's, he's in prison and he's wondering what his future holds. I mean, his life is literally on the line and he's scared. He's discouraged. His plan is completely, remember what his plan? I would go there, it'd be safe. I'd come to you with joy. Now he's locked up. He's already gone through one prison, uh, one trial. It's not gone well. And he doesn't even know if he's gonna live, let alone make it to Rome. And in the midst of this disaster, Jesus comes to him. Remember how I talked about, sometimes God's very clear and sometimes not? Well, here's the time, again, he's really clear. And in chapter 23, while he's in prison, it says that following night, the Lord stood near Paul. We don't know if it was a vision or if it was a dream or whether it's just Jesus just came in person and he said, what, what are his first two words he says to Paul? Now, can I give you just a hot tip? Is it in the Bible, when God shows up and he tells someone, do not be afraid, take courage, it's because they are afraid. Right. Like, God never wastes words. Right. He never tells someone who's at the top of their game, take courage. Like, what are you talking about? I already have my courage. And so... He says, take courage. Why? Because Paul has lost his courage. Like he, he had this, this vision of his future and he has the, the Christians in Rome praying for him. He's got other Christians along the way praying for him. He's praying that by God's will, he will be kept safe and be able to go to Rome with joy and the exact opposite. Everything he's prayed for has, has now not been answered that he's, he's not safe, he's in a Roman prison. But look what Jesus says. He says, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in what? In Rome. So he had the what right, go to Rome. He had the when and the how wrong. And here's the thing, that often in our lives, when we've been seeking God and we make a decision, Maybe it's a career move. Maybe it's, a, a, uh, uh, maybe it's a, a move across the country. Maybe it's a decision to adopt children. Whatever the decision is, and we've really sought the Lord, and we've really prayed about this, and we just, hey, to the best we know, this is the way, and then we take that step. We often tend to assume, hey, we must have got it wrong. And that's often not the case. Why? Because God's general will trumps our specific will. <laughs> Like his, there's often things we learn in the dark that we can never learn in the light. And his top priority is to shape you and make you like Jesus. Yes, so when we're praying for a specific will to happen, we're asking for what really seems to us honestly as the very best thing. And sometimes God will say, yes, that's right. But other times he'll say, I know that that seems like the best, but actually I'm doing something bigger in your life. And that's going to require hard times. Like, let me ask you something: How many of you have ever prayed, God? I just feel so like, could you give me some more hard times so I can grow? <laughs> like, really. Like, and think of all the Bible tells us in James, hey, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many times because the testing of your faith uh, brings perseverance. Think of Romans 5 when we get there, where Paul says like, hey, we rejoice in hope and of the glory of God, but not just in the hope of what's coming, but, but we rejoice in our current hardships because when hardships creates perseverance and perseverance builds hope. And so we have these things in the Bible telling us that many times hardships, Hard times is what it takes to, to lead, but whoever asked for it. On, it right, like and so God knows that, and He know He loves us enough that at times He says no to His specific, our specific will, so that He can say yes to His general will, so we can be transformed and experience the will of God that's good and pleasing and perfect, but requires. A transformation. I love how David writes this very famous Psalm, Psalm 23. And I know, I'm sure many of us are familiar with it, but I think we all love how it starts off. The Lord, of course, all caps, Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Isn't that beautiful? Like the Lord's my shepherd. I've got everything I need. And David goes on, he, he leads me through, uh, leads me to green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And we come to the statement, he guides me along the right path. And yes, I love that. You know, that the Lord is my shepherd and he guides me, he leads me, he directs me. I love that. But then comes a turn that we often miss. And he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are what? Wait a second. I thought the Lord was my shepherd. Well, if he's my shepherd, I don't expect him to lead me through dark valleys. I expect him to lead me through green pastures. I expect him to lead me by quiet waters. I expect him to tell me, here's a good spot for you, little sheepy. Just rest (laughs) right there, you know? Uh, Don't you even rest? Just take it right here. I've got you covered. I'm Jesus. I'm your shepherd. Just rest right here, right? Like, I don't expect Jesus to say, okay, follow me. We're going through a dark valley where I'm scared to death as a sheep, right? But what we find out is that when the Lord leads us through a dark valley, that he's there, just like he was with Paul. And Paul had prayed so long and so hard that he would be kept safe from unbelievers in Jerusalem. He had the whole church praying that he would be kept safe from the unbelievers. And then he wasn't kept safe from the unbelievers. And everyone's wondering, like, what, where's God? Like, like, why isn't he answering my prayers? Well, all of our prayers... And Jesus shows up and says, take courage. This may not be how you thought you would make it to Rome. And in fact, here's what's gonna happen. You think it's bad now, it's gonna get worse. Right, Paul is gonna be, for his own safety, is gonna be transferred from Jerusalem to the coast, the the provincial capital of Caesarea. And he's gonna be kept there as a prisoner for two years because of corrupt Roman governors. And finally, it gets so bad, he has to appeal his case as a Roman citizen to Rome, to, to the Caesar, to be, for his case to be judged by Caesar himself. And because he's a Roman citizen, that request is granted, so they put him on a ship as a prisoner, and now he's on his way to Rome. And guess what happens? On the way, they run into a perfect storm they are being thrown about in the small vessel in the midst of a horrendous storm, catch us, for 14 days. It is so bad, the sailors are not even eaten for 14 days. At the end of that, they end up all being washed up on shore in the island of Malta, where they're forced to stay three more months until they can get on a new ship and get to Rome, And when Paul does get to Rome, it's not as a free man like he envisioned. He's arriving as a prisoner and he's under house arrest, and that's how the book of Acts ends. Not exactly what he had in mind. Coming to you with joy. And yet, God is up to something. He's up to something. He's doing something big in Paul's life. We're learning from his story over two thousand years later. And you know it's interesting. I mentioned this once before. I think the first week, but it's interesting because there's four letters. You know, Paul has thirteen letters in the New Testament, and four of them were written from prison. And we don't really know for sure where they were written from. So we have we have Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, and they're written from We don't really know. And so traditionally we've believed that those letters were written in Rome, from prison in Rome. But more recently, many scholars have suggested they believe that evidence points to Caesarea. They were written during those two years. Now, I tend to still lead the more, I lean towards a traditional view, but just think how crazy that would be. Like, if they were written from Caesarea, you're saying, we might not have those letters Of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And I don't know about you, but those are some of my favorite letters from the Apostle Paul. There's so much he reveals about the gospel, who God is, who we are, the path to life. I can't imagine being without those four letters. Sometimes God is up to something bigger, sometimes he's up to something deeper, sometimes he's up to something higher. And for us to get there, it requires dark valleys. And so when we seek the Lord, and when we do our best to listen and follow, and we head off, and all of a sudden we run into a dark valley, the point is never assume that a dark valley indicates a wrong turn. Because many times what God is doing is he's working out his general will of transformation instead of our specific will of what you want to see happen in a situation. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage, passages of Scripture, as we piece it all together, the story of Paul's life. And, and it becomes a model for our life to realize that, yes, you do have a will, but it's not always clear. There are certain things you do in the darkness that can't be learned in the light. And, and then also that sometimes your will requires us to go through some dark valleys And so there you often do your deepest work in our life. And if left to us, we would never ask for those those hard things. And so you love us enough to take us through the dark valleys so we can be transformed, that we can become like you, that we can experience your will in our lives. But it requires a transformation, and we experience this will that's good, that's pleasing to you, and that's perfect. And so Lord, we just pray right now for those of us who are going through some dark times right now. It doesn't make any sense. It feels like we've sought you. We expected to be under your blessing. and We're going through a very difficult time. I pray, Lord, you'd be speaking by the power of your spirit that you're with us, that our plan, that your plan is intact. You're going speak to us. Take courage for I will be with you every step of the way. We pray this in your name. Amen.